Globe and welcome to One for the Books. I'm Jacinta and I'm Emma. We're a book podcast for everyone whether you love reading or your idea of a book is a glossy mag. We have recommendations to kickstart your book club. Equal part book club, alternate rep list and catch up with your friends. Hello. Hi Emma. (laughs) Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited about this topic today. This is right up my alley. It's a very Jacinta-inspired topic. Oh, God. Non-fiction books. My favourite. <laughs> were you just, like, genuinely struggling to, you know, shortlist your options? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there are so many that I could have gone with that I think people would have rolled their eyes at <laughs> and just been, like, typical. <laughs> so I've tried I've tried to go a bit more interesting, but we'll see if that actually works out. <laughs> tried to break out of the mould. I like Yeah. <laughs> How about you? How did you go with picking ones? Um, genuinely loved it. I think I was saying to you before um, we sort of started recording that um, – Ever since you really introduced me to the world of audiobooks, I feel as if I've been reading much more nonfiction these days. So I actually had heaps of books to choose from, which was both a joy and made it difficult at the same time. Um, That's such a good point. Audiobooks are amazing for nonfiction books. It's like revolutionised my reading as well. Yes, Yes. it's just just like a, a longer podcast. I love it. Exactly. And there's something easier to me that's more digestible maybe um you know with really like fact heavy or science-based kind of non-fiction books I found it so much easier listening to that than trying to read it myself I find I absorb the messaging and the ideas much more easily and I feel like with non-fiction books it's often the author that reads them as well so you kind of have it in their own voice with their own inflection which is Mm -hmm. amazing so I totally agree with you on that one yeah it's where it's at honestly like I spent too long laboring through hard copy books that would just a struggle. Now this is like you breeze through them. As someone, I think I've mentioned this before, I get so motion sick. So to be able oh, to yeah. listen to an audiobook on my commute or in a car or something has Dream. been life changing. It's Dream. been yeah. Or even just like cooking or like cleaning. You're yes. still able to get your head stuck into a book, but it's an audio form while you're doing something else. It's kind of amazing. 100%. Genuinely couldn't agree with you more. That's where I do most of my audiobook listening is like cleaning, doing the dishes, cooking dinner, like stuff where you yes. can kind of switch Love your it. brain into a pi- autopilot mode and you, you can still focus <laughs> on the book but also still be conscious of what you're doing but in a very low-level way. Yeah, if it's a non-fiction book you're, and it's fact-heavy, you're also learning something. So exactly. it, it makes you feel like you're not wasting time either. So oh no. I love this. Honestly, the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is your first book that you're recommending for today's app? Okay, so I know I've said that I've tried to go out of the box, but I actually don't think this is out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> I just okay. realised, maybe not. Um, so the first book I'm recommending that I've read recently is called True Story, What Reality TV Says About Us by Danielle J. Lindemann. So I picked up this book firstly because I'm a diehard reality television apologist and have been my entire life, as maybe you've heard me mention on this before. And I think um, it's something not that I've struggled with, but I've really ebbed and flowed from being really ashamed and hidden it like a, like almost a guilty pleasure to being really open 
and unapologetic about my love because I, I really was do. Say, don't be an apologist. Own that yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, I really do believe it's been incredibly important culturally and socially. And obviously reflects certain truths about us. So 100% plus, I think that like there's such an elitist view of what does and doesn't constitute, you know, it's like pop culture versus highbrow media. And it just, it all contributes to the zeitgeist and influences society and the things that people do and say and relate to each other. Exactly. It's such a, yeah, it's just such a bullshit elitist thing to be like, well, you have to read, it's like books, right? Like you have to read a certain type of literature to be a true reader or some shit it's the same thing like if you enjoy it who gives a shit exactly and I think that's what she touches on as well it's the fact that it mostly caters to women people look down upon it because it is catered a lot to women and it really actually does reflect a lot about our world which is fascinating and I think this book in particular makes a really good argument that it doesn't matter how we feel about it or how we engage with it it has an undeniable influence and yeah. for that reason, I will pick up anything that gives me the language <laughs> or the tools to argue with people that reality television is good and significant <laughs> in a smart is. and sophisticated way. So this was very helpful in that. Oh <laughs> Definitely. God, yes. yeah. And um, this book also opens with Kim Kardashian's meeting with President Trump at the White House in 2020 to talk about criminal justice reform. So from the very beginning, it cements the power and the reach of reality television and how it can't be understated or passed off as frivolous, no matter how many people still want to put it in that category. It has an impact on our policies and our everyday life. You can't ignore it. Also, Kim Kardashian (laughs) finally got, like, she was influential in getting the American government to recognise the genocide in Armenia as a genocide. Like, for literally generations, they've never recognised that. But through their work as activists and Armenian Americans, they advocated for that and it passed because they have so much public sway. Exactly. And that influence comes from reality TV. That's the basis of it. So it's very important Mm. in that respect. Um, So that was really cool having a book that actually lays out all those arguments where you can, you can approach it in like a sophisticated sociology way. Though she is writing it. So she's a sociologist by, by trade. So it it can be very academic and it really is like a social science look at reality television as an entity. So it's not like a love letter or a critique of it, but almost like a search for understanding. But on that point, it can sometimes get a bit bogged down in that sociology speak and information. So if that's not your thing, this might not be the book for you, but you had enough references to Real Housewives or Survivor that yeah, I found it interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so sounds like it could be a good audio book. I actually think that's a really good point. Yeah. I I would love to read this in an audio book. I think that would be really interesting. And maybe because I'm such a nonfiction fan and I've read books like this before that are heavy on the academic, I didn't mind it at all. But I also think it worked in this instant because it's taking a subject that normally wouldn't get such a serious scientific look and kind of applies a rigorous academic kind of lens to it. So it almost gives it this gravitas, which I think you need in this in this respect because you are trying to argue the importance of reality tv that's often looked at looked down upon 
So I thought yeah. it actually helps in that respect as well. And I mean, That's if Donald Trump point. hasn't proved that to you already, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Like literally he became president. Like, yeah, exactly. But no, that's such a good point that like you can't really prove the seriousness or importance or um, influence that social media has without kind of then layering on that academic lens. I feel like, yeah, that's such an important point. So yeah, she touches on everything from the earliest examples of reality TV to how groundbreaking shows like The Real World and Survivor were in breaking barriers. And also what I found really interesting is how they've always been really cheap and easy to produce, which has contributed to its reach. Yeah, because they don't have to pay network television actors are so it's yeah it's fascinating and with that they can make a lot of advertising dollars Mm. but then their output is really cheap because it's just basically a set and a bunch of unpaid actors (laughs) and Mm. also how they all kind of utilize certain archetypes that are easy relate to so it helps you develop a parasocial relationship with these people in the show and also Mm. how say curiosity is peaked with it it's almost like it's a voyeuristic pleasure to watch these things and we're excited to watch people in these almost unguarded moments for social connection or the ability to talk about it with people afterwards. Totally. So it's really, yeah, I found that point really interesting that we watch for that social connection involving real people reacting mm. to real world stimuli. So then we can discuss it. Which is hilarious because so much of reality TV isn't reality. Like it's still a very controlled environment regardless of how scripted or unscripted it might be. It's not – you can never be like the real world when you know that you're being recorded. There's a – yeah, like it's – Well, that's what what she touches on and that's – I actually loved this point that she made because this is actually my favourite thing about reality TV because while so much of it is couched in, say, stereotypes or archaic definitions of sexism and classism and racism, like stereotypes and caricatures of people, every now and then in, say, like an incredibly manufactured or contrived environment, there's like a real moment or a real reaction that will break out and it's, it's like a flash and catching those moments are like worth its money in gold because it's more honest and more impactful than anything else we could consume. And in my opinion, just for that, it's worth it. So <laughs> that's my that's my spiel on reality TV and no, why you should that. watch it. Um, so, yeah, that is true story. What reality TV says about us. Oh. Recommend. How about you? Um, I'm recommending a memoir as my first book. Um, Love it. I'm recommending a book called Educated by Tara Westover. Have you read this? I haven't. I don't think I've even heard of it. What's it about? I feel like if you Google the cover, there's two different covers. One of like kind of a giant pencil and then one of like a young kid on a swing set. Um, I think it came Uh, out in 2018-ish. And I just feel like it's been on some bestseller lists since then, so maybe you'd recognise the cover. Oh, yes, the cover with the girl mm. on the swing, yes. Yeah. Um, so I listened to this as an audiobook and highly recommend. I feel like it was a really good format for this one. It, I think, gave it more of an emotional quality and a bit of more nuance. 
I just feel like sometimes when you listen to audiobooks that you get an extra dimension out of a book that I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do myself reading it. Um, totally. Nothing's better when like you actually hear it from someone's actual voice. Yeah, there was a depth to it that on a rawness maybe that I just don't think I would have ever reached. Um, so I don't know what it would be like to read this book hard copy, but can highly recommend the audiobook. Mm, um, that's a good tip. Yeah, but I think this, and this is a very big call, but I think this might be one of my most favourite memoirs of all time. <gasps> big call. Big oh, call. Wow. <laughs> I know, uh, huge call. Tell um, me about it. Why? Which I feel like is layered though because I did also go into this book, like I was saying before, like it's been on lots of bestseller lists, it's been highly recommended sort of critically and anecdotally. And so I went in it, into reading it with quite high expectations. It's the story of Tara's upbringing in a conservative and radical sect of Mormonism. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fucking wild. Um, she grew up in a rural mountain town in Idaho in the US. Um, and she writes the memoir chronologically, which I know I've shit on before as a concept, <laughs> more as I think I've shit on it in the past because it's so easy to make that boring. But when done yeah. well, it's yeah. great. Um, but she kind of uses her path through a very unconventional education as the touchstone moment. So it's sort of, as much as it's chronological, it's very much themed around these really big educational milestones of hers. And right. specifically her very tumultuous, gritty fight for um, the right to learn. So they were suspicious of doctors, hospitals, public schools, the government, the works um so she was yeah survivalists never... can be so intense can't oh, they yeah um so she was like literally never taken to a doctor or a nurse like she was born at home Jeez. um she like her birth was never registered so she you know the even her just describing her journey to trying to get a birth certificate when she was nine years old was epic because no one could agree on the date of her birth Oh, my God. Some so she doesn't get... know when her actual birthday is. No, she just picked wow. a day and she thought that that's what everyone did. They just picked mm. their own birthday. Like they knew, like her mum would often remember, um, she said I think for most of the kids her mum remembered because she's one of seven siblings. Um, okay, wow. She, yeah, so most of them know the month they were born and possibly the year they were born loosely. Anyway, so her, Tara and her seven siblings, um, I use this term very loosely as well, were very loosely homeschooled. Um, like it was very sporadic how they mm. were schooled by their mother. So it's a pretty phenomenal story, honestly. Almost doesn't feel real. It I know, feels like, like hearing Hollywood. you describe it is wow. Yeah, just like fucking wild. Yeah. Um, so she'd never set foot in a classroom. So never gone to a lecture, never written an essay or an assignment or taken an exam or a test of any kind. Um, She was taught to read by her, one of her older brothers. Um, And she also sort of learned how to read from studying the scriptures of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so this older brother that taught her to read, um, you know, kind of ingrained, like put in her head a seed of an idea about going to university so wow, that's yeah. so intense so that she would had be to... so hard right and you're teaching yourself that yeah and did she have to hide it from her parents because I imagine they wouldn't have 
exactly yeah. agreed with it. Well, her mum was okay about it, but her dad okay. was – so her dad was – I would – I classify it as emotional abuse, but I would say it's – I'm coming at that from a very outside of a religious upbringing kind of perspective. Um, mm. So I think, you know, maybe it's inappropriate for me to say that. But um, that's the way it felt to me. Like if I grew up in that kind of a situation, it would feel like emotional yeah. abuse. And then gets admitted to Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon university. Um, yeah, that's only, the massive Mormon yeah, university. I think it's the biggest Mormon uni. Anyway, it's like it's still quite prestigious. You know, it's like highly rated. Um, like Definitely in that kind of community. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but she gets in at 16. So she starts college at 16. Oh, wow. So she really is like very smart. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's heartbreaking and fascinating and crazy hearing her talk about you know attending her first ever like lecture so she chooses history as her major but she's only ever heard history from like her dad's perspective like literally anecdotal things that he's talked about so she's fascinating yeah like there's this story she tells about being in one of her first ever lectures um and the lecturer is like going through I think key moments in history and there's a word she doesn't recognize so she puts up her hand and asks about it and the entire class goes quiet and then someone says that's not okay to joke about and she's super confused because she's like well I wasn't joking but like I have no fucking clue what this word is so then she has to go to the computer labs afterwards to look it up and she didn't know what the word holocaust was Oh, so they would have been like, so oh, they you're thought, kidding. Like, yeah, they thought she was just being piss. like taking oh. the piss and being a dickhead. And Shit. she was like, just had literally never like seen the word written down. And she's like, look, it, she was kind of like it rang a bell. Like perhaps oh it had been mentioned in passing. But like just that's sort of the level of where she was coming from. So she started uni and didn't know things like that. Um, I cannot imagine it's almost like you had been not kidnapped but like you you were in you were in hiding for like your entire life and you're just being let out of the world it's like the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt vibes yeah that's what I'm feeling yes yeah it's like getting a lobotomy and living under a rock and then emerging at 16 being like what is the world and what has happened yeah like a time traveler like discovering technology and the internet wild but it That's incredible. Yeah, it's honestly phenomenal. And, yeah, so it follows her along. So, yeah, it gets admitted to Brigham Young University at 16 and follows her as she goes, like, she gets admitted to, she goes on a gap year to Cambridge and then gets admitted to Cambridge later in her in her life and then also gets admitted to Harvard. Um, oh, big. Yeah, like, she has a PhD. So she literally went from being... I would say having no education because I don't even think it's fair to say she's homeschooled um, to basically pulling like teaching herself to get into university and then she's now a Harvard graduate it's fucking wild incredible she sounds phenomenal like I can't even imagine having to go through that and And then to kind of bear your soul on the page afterwards it was it's kind of like a coming of age story that I really say this not in a facetious way but I genuinely feel like it's never been told before yeah like that seems like quite an individual experience yeah. and I'm so glad you've explained it now because I I have seen that cover everywhere yes and I'd seen it everywhere and didn't really fully know what it was about I'd yeah, seen people I recommending do. it 
I was yes. like, oh, it can't be that good. Like, whatever. <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Totally. To live up to expectations after yes. it's been, like, everywhere and on all those kinds of lists. Exactly. That's a feat in itself, like we say. Totally. Exactly. Anyway, that's Educated by Tara Westover. Um, genuinely think everyone should read it. It's so good. Um, what's your second book? My second book is called In Defense of Witches. The oh legacy God. of witch hunts and why women are still on trial by Mona Cholet. This sounds like <laughs> my ultimate book. The title oh. is fucking phenomenal. It's so good, Emma. It was honestly one of my favourite books I've read all year, actually. Ooh. And it was, I think you would particularly like it. So it's written by um, a prominent French feminist writer. So I read the translation, but it was originally came out in French. So... It's got a lot of French references and French people in it as well. So I think you would really like it. Yeah, I feel like that name is really familiar. I think she's like a pretty prominent writer and journalist there. Oh, chief editor at Le Monde. Le Monde is like the, one of the biggest um, newspapers in France. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so and I was she's editor in chief. Yeah, yeah, so like <laughs> she's, she's smart. <laughs> yeah, she is pretty cool and I really loved reading this book it's almost like the per- perfect encapsulation of so many of my interests <laughs> like I mean the honestly of yes <laughs> yeah it's and like couching it in like the historic significance of the witch as well Oof. pretty incredible it's like this perfect blend of historic references and present day challenges and expectations with commentary from modern day feminist luminaries woven in with personal anecdotes as well it's kind of incredible I loved it it's a look at I guess the archetype of the witch and namely the issues that society has had against childless, unmarried or older independent women. Yeah, like anyone who exists outside of what is a very narrow view of normalcy for women. Yeah, exactly, because basically a witch is just someone, like a woman who dared to live beyond what society expected of her, which I think was a really brilliant way to kind of couch. So such a good lens for it all. But it makes me think even like, you know, the terms hag, spinster, all of those derogatory terms for older independent women effectively. Exactly. She traces it all back, all that that misogyny back to like the mass murder of women during the European witch trials and how we still use so much language from that era. Isn't it fascinating though? Like even hearing you say the words the mass murder of women, is it fucked up to say that I've never really thought about it in that way? I'm like, oh yeah. No. We've always just said like the witch trials and women got burnt at the stake, lol, like whatever. But it yes. was almost like genocide or like mass murder of a it specific totally was. type of person. Yes. And that's, that's exactly fucked. what this book almost like crystallised for me because we yeah. often hear like a witch hunt in various contexts. But like to actually think about the actual history of it, it was so how violent and brutal it was. Like it, it wiped out entire family lines, not just in Salem or America, like all over Europe, all over the world. Yeah. It was like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of women were executed. And I'm sure um, that that's a conservative, like, you know, I feel like it wasn't exactly that record keeping was top notch back then. 
So exactly. I'm sure that there was there's so many unaccounted for people that have been lost and were murdered that we just don't know about. Exactly. And if they had not occurred, we'd probably be living in a very different world and a very different society, which well, is yeah, really fascinating. It was such, I mean, it was a very brutalist um, and quick way of controlling women who were trying to challenge mm. any form of system of power, right? So instead of women being yes, able to rise yes. up because they were – the ones that had power or were maybe well-read or could read at all um, and were knowledgeable, they were the ones that were the threats. So they just literally wiped them out instead of having to deal with it. Oh, my God, imagine the world we live in. Exactly. Like these women, they didn't answer to anyone. Yeah. They often they often um, were healers or had a lot of knowledge of making people better and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So they were obviously posed as a threat. So yeah, it was just like a, a massive role to get rid of all of them, which is – which you're right, I kind of, not that I see it as like a, well, previously saw it as like an almost a myth, but it almost felt un- like not real. So yes. to, actually, to actually be like, no, this is the reality of what happened and all of these effects still echo today was kind of mind-blowing. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, it's always just been like almost treated as this light-hearted example of this barbarism that existed or this lack of education Mm. of not understanding how things worked back then. Yeah. It's never treated as a horrific situation that resulted in the purposeful murder of like thousands of people. Exactly. It was genocide. I know. It blown my mind. (laughs) Oh, you were going to love this book. And I think what sold me. So it, it starts off first by asking you to think about the first witch that made an impression on you, which I thought was such a brilliant way to kind of ground the idea of a witch in your own life and experiences. And I think most people would have one. So I actually had the same one as the person who wrote the forward. No Um, way. So it was Streganonna, which I know I've talked about this before in this podcast. So that was really... a gorgeous book. Yes, it was one of my favourite books growing up and of course had a massive impression on me. So to ground that in, oh, that she was a witch and she was kind of respected and yes she was older childless was a healer like it, all those hallmarks mm. um and it was really interesting because I feel like if you actually looked at how you consumed media when you were a child it'd be interesting to know what the first witch that you kind of not related to but made an impression on you yeah. which I loved like starting that so all in all a witch was a woman who chose to live differently than what society expected of her. They were almost exclusively single and chose not to marry men. (laughs) I know. And it's it's so interesting how Mona Chalet then connects it to how we live now. So she explores like those three types of women who were accused of witchcraft or persecuted. So it's the independent women, um, the childless woman and the ageing woman. So she examines these types in modern society as well and how they continue to be harassed and oppressed and it's not this brief moment in history. Mm. The echoes are still felt very much today. So that was really fascinating. It's yes. It was kind of a great way to almost reframe it in my mind because I was like you, I never really connected all of that history with what still happens today with people yeah. who choose not to have children or the way women aren't as valued for their looks as they get older and how they lose their value and that or women who choose not to marry and depend on say a male figure it's it's really fascinating and it's 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 chilling as well how 
how these threads have continued to oppress women to this day. It really is kind of incredible. It's definitely changed my perspective and I recommend this book to anyone. Not only is it like informative and will change your mind, but it's also just entertaining and like a a really interesting read. So yeah, In Defence of Witches, The Legacy of Witch Hunts and Why Women Are Still on Trial by Mona Cholet. That sounds like honestly it would have the potential to be like my favorite book ever basically it's up there with my favorite books i've read this year it's definitely going on my end of year list i love these are some big calls that we've recommended that's so true yeah yeah i love it i'm so into it Mm. oh my god i can't wait so yeah i've already put it on hold at the library (laughs) can't wait to read it oh god you have to tell me what you think i'm very interested to know it'll be so good what was your last book that you're recommending? Um, it's an Australian book, actually, um, called How to Lose Friends and Influence White People by Antoinette Latouf. Oh, my God, um, I love the play on the famous How to Lose Friends smart. and Alienate People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so smart. So Latouf is an Australian journalist, author and diversity advocate. She's worked for pretty much all of our major news outlets. Um, And in 2017, she co-founded the company Media Diversity Australia with her friend and colleague Isabel Lowe. Um, Oh, wow. So she's definitely in this space and spends a lot of time there. Yeah. So Media Diversity Australia basically do a lot of research um, and publish um, articles and findings and statistics around diversity in the Australian media landscape. So they've done some pretty landmark um, studies where they've um, looked at, you know, people of colour and how many people of colour are presenters or on screen on, you know, news channels around Australia. Obviously, oh, shockingly that's good. low. I think yeah, that to they, actually that have they, the facts and the yeah. evidence behind you. That's important. Right. So I think people like Stan Grant have been, mm. like, the chairman of their board and stuff in the past. I don't know if he still is. but um, Oh, cool. Yeah, like, they're very widely respected within the industry. And I yeah. think that they're basically the first organisation in Australia that's really catalogued and researched and looked into some of the figures around media diversity and basically the lack thereof because Australia is notorious for being one of the most whitewashed, particularly TV um, landscapes, I would say, in the Western world. Uh, it like, totally notoriously is. bad. And I feel like you, if you ever listen to interviews with particularly people of colour that come um, here for, you know, speaking tours or whatever from overseas, they almost always comment on that. I remember when Roxanne Gay um, came to Australia pre-pandemic and she did a few talks and she, I remember listening to one of them and she spoke and she said one of her first impressions of Australia was getting to her hotel and just switching on the TV to kind of like wind down and take a jet lag nap um and she was just like what the fuck every single person in every ad on every tv show every news channel like everyone is white and there'd be like a random token person of color that would pop up every now and again that's so true and for someone (laughs) to like notice it like that we need to do something about that totally so yeah this is just a really good book um that looks at how you can make a difference when fighting for change and racial equality so it's almost um, like a step-by-step how to be a good ally advocate kind of a book. Um, oh, wow. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah, and I find it really rare that um, to find a book like that that's actually published, you know, with that local Australian lens. 
They're often oh, yeah. American and UK yeah. kind of based books, which are great and really, really important to get those perspectives, you know, like Cronulla riots and things like that, that were very Ooh, landmark for lots of that's people. That's fascinating. Of yeah. Yeah. It's, I definitely have that problem diversifying my reading of being more Australian based. Like I always find that when I look at my choices, I do need to pay more attention to those Australian yeah. based ones because it really does. It makes a difference, especially when talking about something like this, because it's like the society that we live in every day. So I really respect that totally. Yeah, 100%. And she like, you know, speaks quite openly about her experiences being a person of colour in Australia, um, mm. you know, professionally and personally and what that's like. It's like a really cutting kind of research focused exploration of the problems facing Australia. You know, we also have a notoriously monopolised media um, and the influence that that has, but all sort of through the lens of racism and what we can do to fight and challenge that. I um, love that. It Actually, it doesn't just, I guess, lay out the problem. It also gives you tools and ideas to challenge that very framework. Yeah, so totally. Into that. Yeah, so each chapter starts with, like, this is a synopsis almost of, like, here's the high level, what you can do, like, how to do this well, how to do this well. Ooh, so it's, like, really, yes. really step-by-step kind of advice and it starts off really low level of, you know, researching and starting to be aware of things and then obviously progresses through to um, taking a more action-based approach. Um, but it's, like, you know, even things like, whether it's a racist relative sitting across the table at a family function or a mm. CEO that, um, you know, is a bit blind to institutional barriers to people of colour in the workplace, there's just really good tips and advice on what to do because I think particularly as white people we often use that as our excuse of like, oh, it's too hard or it's, oh, just like uncle whoever who's a bit racist. Mm. Um, but obviously like every, every bit of... Um, pushback and call out counts so um it kind of helps navigate the do's and don'ts of being a good ally kind of sounds like it doesn't patronize you either if it's starting from that real foundational level and understands that these situations are hard that's a really good way to approach it yeah and it's not like oh you have to be at this level but it's like if this is your intention of being an ally and saying you're an ally like here's how to actually do that instead of Um, just saying it and then never taking any action to sort of move beyond being aware of all of the fucked up shit that happens. Um, Oh my God, interesting. I love this. So it's kind of part memoir, part how-to, part scathing critique. Um, (laughs) But it all comes together really brilliantly. So she sprinkles in personal anecdotes and experiences, statistics. It's kind of a memoir as well. Yeah, like she really does. Like every chapter includes a personal anecdote of hers that kind of shows an example of either what she's experienced or how she's also then been a good ally or you know the things that other people have done um perhaps in situations where she struggled or things that they could have or should have done differently um yeah so it's a really informative practical way of explaining the do's and don'ts as well instead of just writing it down it's quite example driven which is great yeah I really like structuring it like that that's a really smart idea especially when it's something that people are coming across every day and like you're always going to be in situations like that giving them the tools to actually be a like a good ally is so important I love totally and it's really important I think that this is written by an Australian woman of color I think that that's Mm. um really important that if you're going to read a book about being a good ally in um, tackling racism that it's written by a person of colour and not a white person. Um, Especially since some of the big ones 
um, that people go to are written by white people. <laughs> yeah, like Me and White Fragility by yes. Robin D'Angelo has famously been very critiqued that, you know, she basically became a best-selling author because of the Black Lives Matter movement and she's a white person working in a space where black women have always traditionally been the ones fighting for this. So, yeah, it really look, is wild. Yeah. Um, would not recommend buying her book if you're going to be buying any book because that's <laughs> probably not the best approach. Um, yeah, read this one instead. Read this one it's instead. Um, so, yeah, option. this is How to Lose Friends and Influence White People by Antoinette Latouf. Oh, my God, I, I can't get over that title. I love it's it. It's so good. It's yeah. going to stick in my head, definitely. Yeah. It's iconic. <laughs> oh, my God, what a book. Thank you for that. I love it. Oh my god, my pleasure. Um, what is your non-book recommendation? Well, this is uh, this is kind of cheating. I'm actually going to piggyback on one that you said a couple weeks ago. Um, so intrigued. But, so you recommended "Break Myself" by Beyonce, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to tell everyone to go listen to the whole album yeah. Renaissance because it is incredible, and I can't stop listening to it, and it's my favorite thing right now. And yeah, just go listen to real um, Renaissance. It's What's... every listen you like discover more things, more, yes. more oh. historical references, more um, like clips of songs and mm-hmm. interpolations. It's pretty incredible. Do you have a favorite song? Oh, I love "All Up in My Mind." I cannot. I love that, that is song. A good one. I'm trying to How think. about you? What are you going towards? I can't decide if I'm making this up and I've completely misremembered the title. So I'm just going to look. (laughs) I think it's Heated. Oh, Heated is so. Yeah, that's the one I think that I've really vibed with. Yes, I I was surprised at how much I'm like listening to it over and over. Yeah, it's very, it's very dance heavy. Like it's very dance hole heavy. Yeah, and it's just it's very. There's something. It's completely different. And there's something more old school Beyonce about it. Like Lemonade was such a departure in some ways or an evolution, but this almost feels like a tribute to like some earlier Beyonce to me. That's so true. Like Pure Honey, like the second half of that is so old school Beyonce, even Cuffet, like that is classic Beyonce. I love it so much. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's something where it's like this awesome combination of um, you know, you can hear so many parts of her career in this one album almost. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, it yeah. touches on so many things. And then the history of dance music and gay totally. culture as well. You can hear that in there as well, which is really beautiful. So I yeah. love this album. You know that that's a recommendation that is close to my heart. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> I, need, yeah. I need everyone to go listen to the full thing. I know. So good. How about you? Have you thought of something that you're <laughs> consuming lately? Um, yes. So, uh, this was actually recommended to me by someone at work. It's a podcast that I think I'd heard of, but never really, um, gotten around to listening to. You might already know it. Maintenance phase. Have you recommended it before? I've definitely heard of it. I don't think I've ever listened to it though. Um, What did you think of it? 
fucking love it. So yeah. one of the is like two hosts. One of them is um she's very Instagram famous. Your fat friend is her Instagram handle. Like she's huge on Insta. But it's basically a podcast that tackles dieting, wellness, well being, fads. Um, love this cultural moments and sort of takes them down. So. It's, they have a two-parter on Pete Evans I'm just looking at. <laughs> yes, which apparently they were like the entire of Australia has requested this episode because I think they have – so it's an American podcast, but they've I think they've got a lot of um, listeners in Australia. But also Pete Evans is a fucking crackpot, so like oh not God. hard, you know. It's not <laughs> so exactly funny. a lack of um, things to discuss with him. But specifically oh God, the episode that I've listened to that I really enjoy is the Dr. Oz episode. <gasps> yes, because he's currently running for governor or something. No, and he's, he's not. Yeah, yeah, so he's uh. in the news in America. But, yeah, it's just a really fascinating take on Dr. Oz. They sort of talk through his credentials and then some of the controversies because obviously with a lot of these figures there's a lot of controversy. So they kind <laughs> of pick a few. They don't always go into, like, every single thing that they've been accused of or whatever. Um <laughs> But, yeah, it's just – it's really interesting because these people have lots of influence and power and they talk about how it's often, you know, people with, like, potentially lower socioeconomic background or they're not as, um, you know, well-educated on some of these things that can fall victim to it. But also it's people that are really well-educated as well with these kinds of wellness um, fads, particularly in the Instagram age. Um, yeah, with like so much reach now that everyone can jump on social media. Exactly. It's really scary. Like it's it's yeah. a real problem. Like they're longish episodes, but they're like done in a really chatty, informative way. So it feels like you're listening to friends who are just super informed talk about something. Oh my God, mm. I am subscribing straight away. I'm so yeah. into this. So Thank good. you. So good. Love it. Oh my God, this was such a fun episode. I'm obsessed with like every single recommendation. I was going to say, these are such good picks. I've got yeah. so much to go on to. Right. You've recommended some really great ones. Thank We're you. We're doing a good <laughs> job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like, yeah. Non-fiction, we've got that covered. That's like in our wheelhouse, wheelhouse now that we're listening to more audiobooks. You've really, um, you've really <laughs> influenced me. You've changed me for the better. Well, this is relatively True. new to me as well. So, But you were, like, you were already open-minded to it and I think I was very um, yeah. hesitant and not wanting to really get into it. And then ever since I have, I've been like, what the fuck was I thinking? I know it does take a bit of, especially when you're so used to like holding a physical book in your hands, like it does take a lot to Mm -hmm. divorce yourself from that. But once you do, there's a whole other world. Yeah, like get out of that traditional bubble. It ain't worth it. Exactly. are fucking great. (laughs) Exactly. Like we've proved with this episode, I've listened to these on audiobook as well. So definitely worth it. Oh, oh my, my god, gosh. I can't wait for everyone to read all of these. Yes, I want I want your feedback and I yes. want you to read in Defense of Witches as well. Oh my god, wait to read them. So excited <laughs> that I've got that on hold. <laughs> I was thinking of you when I was writing. Like, Emma's gonna love this. Intersection of all of my favourite things, feminism, witches and French. Like oh, yes. what a dream, exactly. <laughs> I've loved this app. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. Happy reading everybody. Happy reading. I hope you enjoy these books as much as we did. And we'll speak to you next time. Yeah, I'm like going to just say happy reading again. 
Yes. Happy reading. See ya. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'm always so proud.